Finding myself at a loss for words In your presence I will stay And the last thing I need is to be heard But to hear what you would say Word of God speak Would you pour down like rain Washing my eyes to see Your majesty To be still and know That you're in this place Please let me stay and rest In your holiness Word of God speak In the midst of you, beyond the music, beyond the noise, and all that I need is to be with you, and in the quiet, to hear your voice, word of God Ken, what can I say? Darlene. Thank you. Well, let me get out of your way. On behalf of a grateful congregation, uh, it gives me great pleasure to present to Pastor, his wife, uh, and, and Selena these, these tokens of our appreciation. And we love you dearly. And how many years have you been here? 31. What? 31? That's like, a, that's like one more year than I am that age. That's just amazing. In, In my dreams. So let's, let's show them a, a, a little bit of appreciation. Amen? Amen. Uh, the Lord reminded me this morning, and he just wants to say that he's glad when you said yes to Jesus, but not only for his forgiveness, but you also said yes in ministry to serve him, all, I know, all the days of your life. And I think we all can agree that we're thankful that they said yes and that they're serving here. And they're serving among us. And I was reading about um, the unity, and I thought, boy, they really, they really help to keep unity in this church. It's such a blessing when you have the unity of the brothers and the sisters. It's such a blessing. And, and Pastor works hard to have unity among the other church in our, in our congregation, but also in the community. And I really appreciate that. And Darlene and Selena do that too. So if we could just extend our hands to them, I just want to pray a blessing and that your hands are an extension of the Lord. And so Lord, we just, especially in these times, we just pray a blessing over you. And we just ask Lord, all the blessings that you give your saints, Lord, especially those Lord, who we know who, who 
desire you, Lord, and want to be like those trees of righteousness where their roots grow deep into the ground. And Lord, I ask that they'll also have times of refreshing, but just bless them, Lord, especially for healing and protection and mercy and wisdom and discernment and guidance that we especially need in these days. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. We just truly appreciate being here. We love each and every one of you. I'll tell you, these 31 years have gone by like 35. Um, it's just been so much fun. And uh, yeah, we really do love each and every one of you. And honestly, my heart breaks because right now we have so many people out with COVID. Um, there's, I literally, like every day last week, we were getting calls, one after another, you know, people getting COVID and getting some, unfortunately, some are in the hospital, some of our uh, older folks, and so I've been making some phone calls, and you're not allowed to do visits because it's all the whole COVID thing, but um, I do want to have a word of prayer for those people that are out, and not only that, but like there's some people that got it that are in family units, so the whole family's quarantining, and so, you know, I knew the numbers were going to be down a little bit today, but... Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your ability to heal, and we pray for those that are struggling right now with this virus, and we just pray that you would break the authority of that thing in their lives, that you would bring healing and health and restoration back to each and every one of them, and we thank you for your goodness towards them. In Jesus' name, amen. Along the same lines, I know that we've been getting bombarded with a lot of people asking for religious exemption forms, and we as a church, so if you are in an employment that they are mandating you to get the vaccine, just give us a call and we can help you with religious exemptions. Um, if it doesn't work and you have to get the, um, the vaccine, um, just see us before you do that and we'll just pray over you. Some people have had adverse uh, effects to that. Um, I really don't take a stance one way or another. I don't care whether people get vaccinated or they don't get vaccinated. You're all adults. You're all individuals. We support you and back you in whatever you decide to do in your life. But um, the least that we can do is pray over you um, before you get the vaccine. So come and see us about that, and uh, we'd be glad to do that. So amen. Well, I'll tell you what. Albert Einstein was a genius, wasn't he? Uh, his brother Frank, though, what a monster. That was courtesy of Ralph Merritt. <laughs> uh, when, when, they, when they bomb, um, I'm going to blame him. So um, uh, one other thing before we get into the message today is uh, those of you that are parents, uh, I just want to put out a warning for your kids on social media. Number one, social media is as addictive as any substance abuse. And so kids that are on social media, very, very addictive. It is designed purposely to be addictive because you become the product that they're selling and so um, but there, a, a letter came out from the principal of the Dover High School to all the parents in the high school about TikTok there's a thing going around right now on TikTok that are encouraging kids to do something every month of the year in the school year so October is smack a staff member on the butt uh, November is kiss your friend's girlfriend at school December is expose a private part uh, January, I'm not even getting into January. February is mess up the school sign. Uh, March is to mess up something in the cafeteria. Uh, April is to steal something. May is ditch day. I don't even know what that means. Maybe skipping. Um, and then June is to flip off the front office. And so, you know, they're trying to come against this because they're stealing, they're vandalizing, they're doing things. And this is just a social media platform that you as parents need to be aware of what your kids are receiving and what's going into them because it affects behavior. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Got it from uh, one of our concerned parents here at the church, and I thought, well, that's worth sharing, uh, right? Okay. Um, so this is, um, this is something that I really admire. Every time I see one of these, I get really excited because I love the idea of having a panoramic or a picture and then breaking it up into three frames and then doing a silk screen. Um, I love that. Um, I, one day I want to do that. Uh, I don't know, you know how expensive it is or whatever, but um, you know, because it's like one picture, but it's three frames. It really looks cool. At some point in time, you know, in my house, um, I would love to have something like that on the wall. And while I go hiking, I've shot a couple of panoramics myself. Um, because I'm known as the photographer in the hiking group. 
because um, I'm better. And um, while I'm also the medic and the doctor and the companion and the joke teller and the storyteller, um, so that's why they pay to hike with me. Um, <laughs> I say that because Ian and Keith are here, um, and they're two of the hi- guys I hike with. But anyways, like, I, I could see this. So this is one of the pictures that I've taken, and I, I could see doing that with that picture right there, right? So I haven't done it yet, but that's what it would look like. Isn't that a great picture? Yes, thank you very much. Um, so um, I'm thinking, wow, that panoramic would just make a great panel. Um, there's this picture uh, that I took. It's famous. Um, <laughs> actually, Ian took this picture. Um, but that's Mount Chikora. So like, if you were just looking, like if, if these were all separate pictures, right, that one on the left would just be a picture of Mount Chikora. You see it every time you drive up Route 16. It's iconic. It's there. Um, but then when you look at it as a panoramic, you know, you can see that on the right panel that there's some hikers there, right? That's me and I think Caroline and, um, and Dave Salois that are working our way up. That mountain is called uh, Middle Sister, one of the sisters. And so, um, so you, do, you wouldn't get the full picture, you wouldn't get the full story by just looking at one panel. You have to look at the whole thing together in order to get a full picture. And, oh, Dave just snuck in. Um, Sitting, sitting there in the back, so, so he knows um, my skill at taking pictures. Um, and you can talk to any one of them, they'll lie anyway, because um, they tell fabricated stories. They get together, they concoct these stories about me to try to defame my, my character and my fame and my reputation that precedes me. But anyways, so, so where we're going with this is, um, is the Gospel of Luke. Um, I want to talk about the Gospel of Luke, and I want to use these three pains because today we're going to actually look at the birth of Jesus. Now, I know it's not Christmas, but pretend it is. Um, we're getting there, right? And then we're going to look at two different panels that take the Gospel of Luke and really tell one picture. Um, take, they, they tell one story. Um, and so th- next week, we're actually going to look at the ministry of Jesus. So that might be two messages long. I'm not 100% sure. So we are going to talk about the birth of Jesus this morning. And, you know, and, and so kind of get yourself in the Christmas feel. I love Christmas. One thing I don't like about Christmas is that when I go to Walmart to go Christmas shopping and they don't have what I want, that really bums me out. Because that means I got to go home, get out of my pajamas, wash my face, comb my hair, shave, and then go to Target, right? So it's just, it's really a bad, it's a sad scenario all the way around. Um, the, the other thing about, like, parents, here's a good one. You know, you want to save money this year for Christmas? Just tell your kids that Santa got COVID and he's not going to make it. It just, it just, you can save a ton of money by doing that. So when we look at the Christmas story, um, or when we look at the birth of Jesus, it's really a phenomenal story. It's very deep, it's very theological, it's very spiritual in its impact. And so when we start off that the scriptures are so descriptive of everything involving the life of Jesus because he's the promised Messiah and everything was foretold ahead of time even to the point of where he was going to be born and the prophet Micah says this as for you Bethlehem Ephrathah too little to be among the clans of Judah from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel his going forth are from long ago from the days of eternity So what does that mean when he says, you know, from the days of eternity? He's obviously talking about an eternal being that is going to go forth, and he's going to come out of this little town of Bethlehem, right? Kind of like insecure little town, kind of probably be like Epping. (laughs) You know, I don't know why I said that. Anybody from Epping? Um, No, see, no one's going to admit it. So anyways, so... So the thing is, is when we look at this, when we look at this story, so you've got Bethlehem, and this ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. Now we know that Mary is a key figure in this, right? But Mary lives in Nazareth. And Nazareth is three hours by car to the north of Bethlehem. So you can imagine, like, what's that? Like maybe Bangor, Maine is about three hours away from us. Um, so you can imagine, if that's by car, what it would be like either on foot or on the back of a donkey. So you can imagine that that is a huge trip. And so God is moving things around to fulfill Scripture that fulfill the description of who and what the Messiah is going to be. 
because there's over 300 scriptures that talk specifically about the coming Messiah. And each one compounds the difficulty of somebody being able to fill it. As a matter of fact, the odds of somebody fulfilling all 300 scriptures is astronomical. I mean, somebody actually like crunched the numbers and it was like, you know, pages of computer papers with zeros and then like one in this many power. It's just, it, so Jesus fulfills every single one of them, which is absolutely mind-blowing when you think about the odds of that happening is nearly impossible. And yet Jesus comes and fulfills every single one of these. So to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem took a literal act of God's sovereignty. How was he going to do that? To fulfill scripture, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem when she's living in Nazareth. Well, you know what he did? He moves on the hearts of rulers. The Bible says that the hearts of rulers are are in the hands of God, that he controls them. And so God moves on Caesar Augustus to tax the entire world. And that's how it went out. An edict goes out so that the entire world would be taxed, right? Figures, he would use taxes, (laughs) right? So I can't prove it, but I think that Caesar Augustus is the great, 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 great grandfather of Joe Biden. Uh, But anyway, so, so there's this big move, there's this big move to tax the entire world, and that issue itself is what causes Mary to have to leave Nazareth to travel to the town of her birth, which is Bethlehem, in order to be taxed, but that's what gets her into Bethlehem so that this one scripture could be fulfilled, that out of Bethlehem would come the ruler who was from everlasting to everlasting. Pretty cool. The psalmist says this, before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So when we look at this eternal quality of Jesus, it basically is a reflection that he is God. There are so many scriptures that point to the deity of Jesus Christ. In other words, that Jesus wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a teacher, he wasn't just a great philosopher, uh, but that he was literally God in the flesh. And this is so, so important when we talk about the Christmas story. The the scriptures go on and it literally declares how this was all going to happen. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. There's a lot of modern day, you know, scholars or theologians that would huff huff over this idea of a virgin birth. That was just like a, a, a concept that was really, you know, wasn't really what was happening. But yeah, it really was what was happening. That, that, that a virgin was going to give birth so that the bloodline which comes from the father was going to be deity. Again, right? So we go to this whole issue that Jesus had to be deity in order for our salvation to have any kind of efficacy, right? In order for it to actually have roots in this whole legal battle between God and Satan and fallen man in this whole mess. And so he says, this is how it's going to happen. A virgin is going to give birth. It's going to be a supernatural sign and wonder. And, um, and so we accept that by faith. It goes by Luke chapter 1. Now here's where we start getting into the gospel of Luke. Because remember, this is a panoramic, three panels, first panel of birth. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so here's the virgin. God selected this woman. Uh, She was probably pretty young. Her name is Mary. She lives in Nazareth. Again, remember, uh, uh, quite a ways from Bethlehem. And, um, And she's a descendant of David, which is so important because the Messiah had to have been a descendant of David because the scriptural promises was that he would sit on the throne of his father David forever, for eternity. So he has to be a descendant of David. The interesting thing is, is that the Gospels, Matthew and I believe um, uh, uh, Luke, um, actually give the genealogies, and both one from Mary, one from Joseph, and both of them are descendants of David, which gives Jesus a legal, legitimate right to claim being king of Israel. But beyond that, being Messiah of Israel. But anyways, no matter how it pans out, there's a legal justification that Jesus is a rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And and this is all very important because scriptures sum this all up and tie it up in a nice neat bow, um, and it's so important for us to see how this all 
plays out. And then it also, the scriptures throw a little curveball in there, and it also talks about how one of the messianic scriptures that would be fulfilled in the birth of Jesus is that somehow he would go from Bethlehem to Egypt and then be called out of Egypt, which is kind of weird, but it just complicates and, and, and adds to the improbability of somebody fulfilling all of these different scriptures. And so the prophet Hosea says this, when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now some theologians would be, well, he's referring to, to, to Israel. He's saying, you know, because Israel, I've loved Israel, and out of Egypt I've called my son. The son is Israel. But God always refers to Israel in the Old Testament as his bride, not as his son. And so he says, uh, I have loved you, Israel, and out of Egypt I've called my son. And when you match that with Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, it says this. And when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Herod wants to destroy Jesus because he's threatened about a newborn king that might take his dominion, his authority away from him. So he tries to have all those kids killed, have them wiped out. And here an angelic warning comes, take Jesus, take Mary, and go hide into Egypt until I tell you it's safe to come back. And out of Egypt, God calls his son. This is all fulfillment of scripture. Again, why? Just simply for the purpose that we can know that Jesus fits the bill of the promised coming Messiah that he is the one that they were all looking for that would bring salvation and deliverance and all of these wonderful things, which impacts us. And then it also even gives us one of the references of his name, going back to Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child, bear a son, and you should call him Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God with us. That's literally what the name means. So the name that's given to him is God is with us. I'm going to move these things because I'm afraid I'm going to step on them and crush everybody's flowers. So, so here's this, you know, God is with us, not just a great teacher, not a prophet, not a healer, not a miracle worker. God has come in the flesh, and it's so important for us to really wrap our minds around this because everything hinges on this concept of incarnation, and what is incarnation? It literally is incarnos. And carnos, or car, yeah, carnos, the word carnos means flesh, right? Uh, a carnivorer is a flesh-eating eat, animal. So, um, so carnos means flesh. Incarnos means that God was coming in flesh. Jesus put on an earth suit like we wear and came and dwelt in flesh. He was 100% man and at the same time 100% deity. He wasn't like half God and half man. He was 100% God and 100% man. Nothing like this has ever happened. But here's the deal. If there is not any incarnos, there is no salvation. Because it had to be innocent blood that paid for our sin. And, and so if, there is, if there's no divinity, there's, there's no propitiation for sin. And, and these, are, these are deep concepts, but we've got to use our education, we've got to use our mind, we've got to use our intelligence to understand what's going on here. And so again, you know, the scripture said, for a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So let's just unpack this again because this is another deity scripture. This is another scripture that's talking about the coming of the promised Messiah and how he is God. I mean, look at this. He's saying what? A son will be given to us. A son is going to be given to us. Okay, well, we know that's definitely talking about Jesus. A child's going to be born. Now look at this, unpack this. A child is going to be born, but a son is going to be given. Does that sound like anything else in Scripture? Like maybe John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Right? So, so we back up to that. A child will be born to us, a son will be given. Okay, so we understand this is Jesus. The government will rest on his shoulders. Okay, I'm good with that. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Yeah, that's cool. Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, I'm down with that, but those, those two in the middle there really will tweak your brain because he's saying that the Son who's going to be given is also Mighty God and Everlasting Father. 
because we serve one God in three persons, right? There's the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one is mighty God, everlasting Father. There's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, but they share the same nature, the same character, uh, and, and everything about them is the same. The divinity is the same. The attributes are the same. If one is eternal, they're all eternal. If one is all-powerful, they're all powerful. If one is omniscient, they're all omniscient, right? So this is the Trinity being exposed, and he's saying, listen, a son is going to be given to us. This is who he is. He's actually God, and this son will be given. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. These are deep concepts, but when we wrap our minds around them, it starts like really, it really should be a, a jolt to your faith to realize the intricate plan that God was going through to make all of this happen. The Bible calls it so great a salvation. It says if we neglect so great a salvation, how will there be any hope for us? How, how will we stand before the judgment of God if we neglect so great a salvation? So, so here's the deal. America right? America is founded as a Christian nation. I don't care what modern day uh, uh, progressives or, you know, liberals or America haters or whatever say that, you know, oh, it was a social nation. There will always been a social nation, uh, you know, a secular nation. No, no, it really wasn't, okay? All you have to do is read the, the, the Mayflower Compact, right? Read the Mayflower Compact when they came over here. It's all in there. It's clear as white. We're seeking a land we can call our own to establish a Christian foundation for the glory of God, a light on a hill for the nations to see. That was what they came here for. That was our founding fathers came here. You can look it up, Declaration of Independence. You can look up the founding fathers. I can't remember the exact statistics, but out of the 54 or 56 founding fathers, like 50 of them were church members, like eight of them were actually pastors. I mean, it goes on and on and on. You can look it up yourself and find out that, yeah, these guys were definitely all spiritual men of God. Now, Nancy Pelosi just recently came out and said, you know, I think because of Columbus Day last week, that, you know, uh, we need to understand that our European founders also brought with them a lot of systemic hatred and racism and disease that they spread to everyone. And we should be aware. I mean, okay, like, you're just an America hater at that point. You need to understand that there are people in our government right now that simply hate this nation. They hate what it represents. They hate what it stands for. And when you hear these topics, when you hear these, these little verbs, see, words mean things. And when you hear these little verbal cues of burn it all down, right, what they're talking about is our founding fathers were racist, therefore everything they did is null and void, burn it all down and start all over again. Well, if you get rid of our constitution, which is our governing body, because we are not a democracy, we are a republic, go back to the Pledge of Allegiance, and the republic is governed by law. What law are we governed by? Our constitution. If you get rid of that, what are you going to replace it with? Because there's no other document that has so well governed a nation as our constitution. And I know what they want to replace it with. They want to replace it with socialism slash communism. Which says government knows more than you do and we will take care of you. So if you want education, we'll give that to you. If you want health care, we'll give that to you. If you want this, that, or that, and the other thing, we'll give it to you. We just got to tax you more because we need more money. So what people don't understand is you are forfeiting freedom for stuff you're sacrificing your freedom i'm giving more to the government i'm losing more of my paycheck every year do you realize that do you realize you work almost six months out of the year for federal and state governments look at your paychecks figure it out almost six months of the year half of what you're it's going to big government and, and, and they control so much of our lives. We're forfeiting our freedoms as individuals. And so here's America, and people, you know, so here's the deal. So, so people growing up in America, and I'm going back in the history of America, right, it's predominantly a Christian nation, predominantly establishing governance on Christian principles. Our three levels of government come right out of the Bible, executive, legislative, judicial, comes right out of the Bible, right? All this stuff is unfolding. But then there are people who are not Christians in our nation. And so they, they, they suppose on the goodness of Christians, hey, we're not like you. Would you at least be tolerant of us? We're not Christian, right? We're, we're Jewish or we're um, uh, or atheists or whatever. And of course, Christians, what? Of course, we love everybody. And of course, we get along with everybody. And of course, we're like 
Yeah, sure, we'll tolerate you. Absolutely. And then it goes from tolerating differences to tolerating worldview clashes. Like, hey, we want to talk about sexual identity. You've got to tolerate us. We're different than you. And so all of these things start spiraling to where, listen, listen, this is where it leads. This is where it goes. This is an actual letter that was written to a community by the name of St. Anthony's. Now, you've got to get the irony in that, right? And this is what it said. The idea of twinkling colorful lights, we're talking about Christmas. The idea of twinkling colorful lights are a reminder of divisions that continue to run through our society. A reminder of systemic biases against our neighbors who don't celebrate Christmas and can't afford to put lights up of their own. This letter was shared by a crime watch in Minneapolis. And it says, we must work, do the work of educating ourselves about the harmful impact an outward-facing displays like yours can have. This was written to somebody who decorated their house, right? The letter challenged the resident to respect the dignity of all people while striving to learn from our differences, ideas, opinions of our neighbors. We must come together collectively and challenge these institutional inequities. Ooh, such a bad word. Um, And so St. Anthony's is a community welcoming of all people, and we must demand better of ourselves. Chip, 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 chip. Just a slow boil, a slow chipping, right? The letter received some pushback on social media. Former quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens, Derek Anderson, said, saw this coming a long time ago. If I can't have it, nobody can. Or if they have it, we all deserve it. That's not life. Let me say that again. If I can't have it, nobody should have it. That is a progressive, liberal, socialistic mindset. If you got something that I can't have, then you shouldn't have it either. See, we live in a time where everybody wants to talk about rights and nobody wants to talk about responsibility. I was thinking about this when I was thinking about hiking, right? I get to see great pictures and great summits and great views, and somebody might say, you shouldn't do that because I can't do that. I have a gimp leg and I can't do that, and if I can't do it, you shouldn't be able to do it. I have a right to be able to see those. So let's put roads up to the summit of every mountain so that I can enjoy them too. No, you don't have that right. You know what? You have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to be the best you that you can be. That's what life is all about. Life's not fair. Have you heard that from your kids? Life's not fair. We taught our kids, yeah, that's right. Get used to it because it's not fair. It's not, a, uh, it's not designed to be fair. You know, so if I can't have it, you can't have it. Or if they have it, we all deserve it. Hey, if that guy can be a multimillionaire, then I should be a multimillionaire too. Really? Well, maybe that guy's working. There's a news flash for somebody, right? And maybe the guy gets up and goes to work every day. So another, another pointed out the irony of the letter saying, this person is doing exactly what they're accusing the homeowner of doing. They're not being accepting of others. See, now Christianity is on the outside, and people are not respecting Christianity. Racist bigots, homophobe, Islamophobe, phobe, phobe. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. When, when really, that's not what Christianity is about. It's just not. We're losing our country. And I'll tell you what, this window of COVID has been devastating to the entire globe. It is absolutely, psychologically, it's impacting children in such a negative stance. It's just so crazy. Politics is absolute. I'm telling you, the world's coming to an end. And I know that it's probably going to happen in the winter months because that's when Dunkin' Donuts stops serving pumpkin spice. I know it. That's when it's going to happen. As soon as pumpkin spice is gone, it's going to be, okay, Jesus is coming back. It's, it's going it's to just happen that way. So here's the deal. Let's, take a, let's, let's expand our brains a little bit. This is a picture taken by Hubble Telescope. Just a random picture of the universe. Um, you'll see, though, when you look at this, that like right here, there's like nothing there, right? Right over here, there's like nothing there. And so scientists, when they, when, they, when they take areas like this and blow them up, this is what they were seeing. Nothing's there. So one of the scientists said, hey, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to take the Hubble telescope. I'd like to point it into one of those dark centers and leave it there for 100 hours. And they're like, you can't do that. The Hubble's too valuable. It's a worldwide tool that everybody uses. It's too expensive. And he says, well, guess what? I own 10% of the stocks. 
And so therefore, I'm going to use my 10% of the stocks and point the dang thing in one of those spots for 100 hours. And like, you're wasting your time. Well, he did it. And out of one of those black spots, this is what the Hubble received after taking signals for over 100 hours. That's what they saw. The expanse of our known universe absolutely blows the mind. These are hundreds of thousands of galaxies, not stars. These are galaxies in the dark area where there's nothing there. How phenomenal is our universe when you look up, when you just look at the Hubble, taking a picture of the universe, you say, you know, as Carl Sagan would say, billions and billions of, you know, it's just crazy, right? And then you go into a dark section where there's nothing there, and that's what you come up with. I used to think, I wonder if when I get to heaven, God will give me a planet. And God's saying, like, you're thinking too small. Because remember, we rule and reign with Christ forever. You see, we have shrunken our salvation down to meaning almost nothing, and therefore it doesn't impact our lives. We have no idea what's in store for us. So much so that Paul says, hey, count the light affliction of this life and not even be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. Forget a planet. God's like, you can have like 100 galaxies. Like, I've got a plane enough to go around. Galaxies. I'm going I'm to... I got to think of a really cool name. GOK. Galaxy of Ken. I'm just thinking, you know, you can go anywhere with this, right? I mean, so, 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 so big. So big. One of those planets in my galaxy is just going to be dinosaurs. I'm going to ride them all. I am going to get me a cowboy hat. I'm going to get on the back of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and, like, yeehaw. You know what I'm just, think. Use the brain that God gave you. Like, are you being silly? No, I'm not. I'm really, I'm going to ride crazy. Listen, people, you think my dog will be in heaven? I don't think heaven's going to be less than earth. I think there's probably critters there that we we haven't even seen yet. Look at the diversity of God. Just look around this room, right? Every one of us is different. Just God, God is like genius. And so when we look at this and when we see the size of God and the things of God and, and, and what he's done, we think about that this God became incarnate. This God clothed himself with this flesh that I live in and came, and not only did he come, but he was born in a manger where there was animals. He didn't even have a Motel 6. The lights weren't on. He just came to this place, and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, which most theologians say are burial clothes. They're strips that they would kind of like mummify people and wrap them in. He was, he was clothed in swaddling clothes or, or burial cloths. Incredible. Let's go back to the Gospel of Luke. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping wash over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. What's happening? This incarnos is something that shook heavens and the earth. There have not been angels appearing for over 400 years. We have that silent period when Malachi ends the Old Testament and 400 years of silence. There were no angelic uh, uh, visitations. There were no prophetic words. God was not speaking anymore to the earth. It was done 400 years of nothing. And then all of a sudden, bam, angels are appearing to Zechariah. Zechariah, you're going to have a son. I don't know, shut your pie hole, boom. And then going over to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you're going to have a son. Wow, that's great. Then going over to Mary. Mary, you're going to have a son. You're going to name his name Jesus and all these different things. Angels are appearing. And then they switch over and angels, now listen, they got to talk to, they got to talk to Zechariah. They got to talk to Elizabeth. They got to talk to Mary because they're the components. They're the ones God's using. He's not going to use them without talking to them. He's like, this is what's going to happen. But then he switches over to the public sector. And who does he appear to? Magistrates, rulers, kings, theologians, politicians, shepherds. Shepherds were ancient cowboys. 
I mean, you know, hey, you get this picture of this frail little, you know, old guy, little beard, the Hasidic curls coming down underneath his hood, and you think, oh, look, a little Jewish shepherd. Get rid of that, man. Put a 10-gallon hat on that guy, a couple of bandolores, man. They are the ancient cowboys. These guys are rugged, rugged individuals. These guys are living out on the open range. They lived out there on the open range. They lived out in the elements with the sheep. They fought off animals. They fought off rustlers and thieves and all those kinds of things. It's like the cowboy that rode into town, and he had a hat made out of leaves. He had a vest made out of leaves. He had chaps made out of leaves. And they arrested him and threw him in jail for wrestling. So... My sister was just telling me earlier how she can't wait for my joke. She looks forward to them so much she loves them. But listen, the the shepherds, what were the shepherds? The shepherds were lower class. They were poor. They were uneducated, but they were faithful. They did their task. The Lord identifies with them so much that the Lord is called a shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He gets it. He understands. And so glory appears to them. Some say that the glory was like, was like the, the fire that was over the tabernacle that appeared like right over Bethlehem. And some people say it was like a supernatural light. Some people say it was a star or like a solar flare or whatever. But all of a sudden, boom, they're in incredible light. And what's the first thing they do? They start fearing. They're, they're scared. This has never happened before. And the angel appears and says, hey, I bring you good news. This is good news. See, some people think it's bad news. This was the gospel that was preached to Eve in the garden. When it started, you're going to have a seed, and he will crush the head of the serpent. He will destroy the authority and the dominion and the power of the serpent. This is the gospel that was preached to Abraham when you're going to have a seed, and through him all the nations will be blessed. And now the seed is here. It's the seed of God in a virgin becoming incarnos. What does she do? Be it done unto me according to your word. And she received the word. She's impregnated with God and she is giving birth to the incarnos, the incarnated God. The ones that created the galaxy. And this kingdom is going to envelop everything. Paul says in Ephesians that uh, the summing up of everything in heaven and earth and under the earth in Jesus Christ. And this is an everlasting gospel. There's not another like it. There's no plan B. This is it. There's salvation in no other name but through Jesus. A Savior is born for all people, everyone. You see, here's where the tolerance of Christianity comes in because we understand that God loves everyone. There's no room for bigotry. There's no room for prejudice because there's only one race, the human race, and God loves everybody. So that's why, yeah, we're tolerant. But sometimes we're tolerant to our own chagrin to where now we've got these forces in our nation that are anti-God, anti-American, anti-freedom. It's just absolutely insane to where we are. And then the sky filled with a multitude of angels, and it was crazy. And this is the response of the shepherds. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord made known to us. I want you to get this. Their faith is in a word that was given to them about something that had happened that they didn't witness. Does that make sense? Does that sound like anything that we experience? Our faith is in a word that's given to us about an event that has happened that we really didn't see with our own eyes. And so we have faith just like these shepherds have faith, and we believe it, and we go, now some people think evangelism, you know, sharing this good news, which is what it's all about, share this good news, that it's all about the bad, scary, forbidden things, like, you do that, you do this, it's kind of like, you're going to go to hell. And I mean, you know what, honestly, we should reflect on hell, because there are only two destinations, heaven or hell, and sometimes we need to reflect on hell. I was talking to one guy, you ever think about hell? He says, every dinner time when my, 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 my wife cooks. but So don't do that. I don't do that. My wife, man. Whew. Don't do that. Don't project that I'm talking about her cooking. Sunday Clark's not here to do that. She's always like, oh, and then she looks over at Darlene. It's like, no, I'm not referring to Darlene. You're a wonderful cook. 
Love you. So look at it, it goes on, verse 16. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. So what do they do? Number one, they hurried. They didn't procrastinate. When God lays on your heart to share with somebody what God has done for you, don't procrastinate. Just do it. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, listen, you're going to. The gospel is an offense. But they need to hear it. They've got a right to hear it. That God, the, magi- the, 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 the genius of the universe, the majesty of God incarnate, became a flesh in order to save us from our sins. And they made the statement known. They made it known. Obviously to a lot of people, because as I said, when all who heard about it, they were amazed at what was shepherds were sharing. They were talking about it. And when they were done, the shepherds went back glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. When's the last time you've ever told somebody, you wouldn't believe what happened to me? You wouldn't believe about my testimony. You wouldn't believe the good things that have happened. It's incredible. It's about joy. It's about wonder. It's about amazement. It's about awe to think that this God that created the cosmos, that our minds can't even fathom the size and the dimension and the glory and the grandeur of this universe that we live in. That the Bible says the universe, the heavens, declare the glory of God. That this God, unlimited in power and knowledge and scope and might, became in flesh to identify with you and me and then become our sacrifice. And in order for the sacrifice to have worked, it had to have been somebody that never experienced sin, the taint of sin. Somebody outside of being sinful has got to pay for sin, but it's got to be a a human being because we're the ones that fell, so we're the ones that have to somehow rectify and balance this whole thing out. And so the only solution was for God who is sinless to become a man and pay for our sin. Wow. And that works its way out in each and every one of us in a million different ways because none of us have the same testimony. Some people are born in a Christian home, live for God all their life, never go bad. Some people live horrible lives and then come to Christ later on in life out of the devastation that sin brought into their life. I mean, some people get saved, they backslide, they go into sin, then they come. Everyone's got different testimonies of how we came to Christ. But you know that thing that we celebrate every month that we call the Lord's Table? We call communion. It literally means a common union, that even though we've come to Christ in a million different ways, from a million different backgrounds, with a million different pasts, we have something in common that unifies us, and that is our union with Christ. Because he became our sin sacrifice. And we need to be able to at least tell people about that. So in closing, I want us to stand... And we're just going to sing this chorus. We're just going to close by singing this chorus. So stand with me. I'm using David's guitar. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he Bow down before 
Father, we thank you for this incredible gospel. We thank you that as we look at this panoramic view of the gospel of Luke and we look at these different snapshots throughout the entire gospel, that we're going to get this whole story of the life, the ministry, the death of Jesus Christ that will build and be an undergirding to our faith. And Lord, I pray that as we just look at this one story of the birth of Christ, that we are filled with amazement and we're filled with wonder at who you are and that we are willing to tell the world of the treasure that we found whether it's a co-worker or a classmate a neighbor a family member help us to be bold and to share the excitement of what we found and we thank you for all of these things in jesus name and everyone said amen and amen and amen hey god bless you there are refreshments out in the cafe go ahead and hang around for a while have a cup of coffee and a piece of cake